Talking Books with Susan Cahill. This is News Talk. The issue with treatment is the way it worked in my case was you had to, within a group where you'd established common trust to specific exercises, blindfolding, for example, being conducted round a room and through long corridors by, by your, your fellow uh, patients, if you like. So you build up a sense of trust in them. We did lots of exercises like that. And then the idea is that you literally have to go through every last detail of what you think the experience was that caused you the problem. And as I, I mentioned in the book, it's literally like taking the rubbish out of a dustbin and emptying it on the floor in front of you and ejecting it from your body. It's actually, you know, everyone is familiar with the idea of it being mental health, but actually in many ways it's physical health as well. It's the body that's traumatized. You actually got to get this stuff out of you and removed so that you have the, the space, if you like, the headspace, the oxygen, to actually breathe again and think again and move on and finally put this, this experience behind you. What is post-traumatic stress disorder and is it possible to overcome? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to unpack those questions with English writer, journalist and editor Ed Gorman, whose compelling new memoir, Death of a Translator, based on Ed's experiences working as a young foreign correspondent during the Soviet-Afghan war, has just been published by Arcadia Books, where Ed writes, Off we went into the heartland of what seemed a futile war pitting many illiterate peasants, increasingly coming to rely on their religion for inspiration in an unequal fight with the brutal tactics of the Soviet military machine. We were heading into a scorched earth land, but this time the destruction was more comprehensive. Ed goes on to write, You learnt more about waiting for hours and hours while decisions were made as to where it was safe for us to go next, and that life was conducted at snail's pace. So who were the Mujahideen? And how did a young Cambridge graduate end up on one of their secret military camps? My name's Ed Gorman. I'm a British journalist. Uh, I worked for the Times in London for 25 years. Uh, I started off as a a news and foreign correspondent, specialising in war zones um, for the first eight years of my career there, uh, covering Afghanistan, the Balkans, conflicts in Sri Lanka, Uh, I was present in the Middle East during the first Gulf War. And after that, I spent four and a half years uh, based for the times in Northern Ireland, uh, but also uh, working in Dublin whenever I got the chance and elsewhere uh, in the Irish Republic. Um, I left the times five years ago and I'm now working from home in southern England, uh, working on various book projects um, and similar writing uh, activity. And uh, just over a year ago, I published an autobiographical memoir about my very first assignment as a young foreign correspondent uh, when I took myself off to Afghanistan to cover the Soviet war against the Mujahideen guerrillas that raged throughout the 1980s. My book, 
Death of a Translator was published by Arcadia, and it gives a detailed, really a description of how I came to go out to Afghanistan in the first place, and then what happened to me, and the consequences of those experiences, which cast a very long and quite dark shadow over my life for many years. So I thought perhaps I would start by reading just a short descriptive section just to give you a flavor of the sort of adventure that I embarked on when uh, another young English would-be journalist and I, we were in our early 20s, uh, 24 years old I think I was, and we were on our way into the heart of the Soviet war in Kabul province around the capital of Afghanistan. And I was traveling with a group of Mujahideen guerrillas and we were a couple of days in on foot, gradually getting nearer to the mountaintop camp of the commander who was going to look after me during my stay inside Afghanistan. That day, we came across our first big gravesite. Seven fighters who had been ambushed two months before were buried where they had fallen as an enduring reminder of what Shams called their heroic action. The site was surrounded by a low stone wall and set under trees. Each of the graves was marked by a stone at head and foot, and standing above each was a tall stake with green, purple, brown, and blue prayer flags fluttering and fading together. On the graves, the possessions of each man had been lovingly arranged by their fellow fighters. Waistcoats, combs, cufflinks and buttons, a wallet, and on one a metal watch strap. At the foot of each grave, the men's socks had been clamped under stones. Next to one lay a combat jacket, offering a vivid picture of how he had died. The arms and the chest of the jacket were torn by 20 or 30 bullet holes, the fabric beginning to fray at the edges. There was a terrible and pervading sadness about the place, the colors speaking of lives violently lost. As we approached, the men accompanying us fell silent, each opening his arms as if to embrace the dead and muttering words of prayer to comrades they regarded as martyrs. Afterwards, with many gestures, they explained to James, Lawrence, and me that these seven Mujahideen had been caught in the open by a helicopter gunship. What a powerful memoir, Ed, and really well done on it. I have to say, um, it's hugely informative on um, the politics at play in the Soviet-Afghan war, and also in terms of action and consequence and how sometimes we possibly don't think through some of our decisions and then afterwards how we pay the price. Can I ask you um, a big wide open question to kick things off and then sure we can take it from there. Do you think everything comes at a price? Every decision that we make, whether we actually realise it or not or whether we tee it up to ourselves or not, that ultimately everything has a consequence? Yes, I think undoubtedly whatever we do, you know, We can never calculate what the consequences of anything that we do will be. And often the law of unforeseen consequences comes into play. And in this case, I was a very young, very ambitious, fearless, uh, reckless, I would say, for reasons that we might go into a bit later, young man. And I wanted to go and test myself, I guess, um, in a war. Uh, I think all of us, in these islands have 
long history in our families of people who had been to war or who had suffered the consequences of it. And I guess I was curious. And um, what's almost impossible to say to a young person in that situation is, look, hang on a minute. Think about what the long-term consequences of this could be for you. Because obviously you're not going to be thinking like that. What I was thinking at the time was, this is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life by miles. And in fact, when I look back on it, the exhilaration and the sense of adventure, the, the moment when we sort of stepped illegally into Afghanistan, um, you know, trying to, to work out how to be a journalist in a war zone, I've never felt a, a more exhilarating feeling than that in anything I've ever done since. So, you know, it was a price that I paid, but I, to be quite honest, I did pay a high price, but I've never regretted it. How would you describe the memoir? Because in a lot of different ways, you're interrogating the nature of loss, but you're also teasing out what trauma is and how trauma ripples through lots of different relationships within your life and has ripped through lots of different relationships in your life. So how would you describe uh, the memoir? Well, I think it's on several levels. I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a tribute I wanted to write to these men who I got to know very, very well. And we're talking about a country that has had a very bad image problem for the last 25, 30 years. Most people know very little about ordinary Afghans. We know about soldiers from the West and other countries that go there to fight, but we don't really understand any longer who it is that they're fighting. They come under sort of broad brush pejorative terms like Taliban or perhaps Al-Qaeda or extremists or whatever, but actually they are people. They are simple peasant farmers, or they were in the early 1980s, who had a wonderful kind of feudal society. They had very strict moral code, um, and they were brave, and they, and they were fighting against impossible odds. So I wanted to kind of paint a picture of that, and I hope that it provides quite an interesting historical record, really, of who the Mujahideen were uh, in the 1980s and what sort of life they were leading and what sort of war they were fighting. But on another level, as you mentioned, this experience caused me long-term problems with trauma. And I wanted to set down my story and try and tell in detail what happened to me so that I could get on to the, the subject of trauma which followed on afterwards. Because the whole... The whole history of this story really lasts from 1985 until now, which is that it's been a long and slow recovery for me to sort of understand what happened to me, to be treated and to try to put it behind me. And I felt that I had a story to tell that could help others. And because um, we all know that trauma is now a major issue in civilian life and in military life. And there are plenty of people out there who feel very trapped in some form of trauma condition. And I'm hoping, and there is some evidence, I'm delighted to say, that people have read it and it's helped them understand what's happened to them and how they might escape it. It took you over 20 years to write this memoir. And it got me thinking that within that, possibly some of us out there have a very limited or um, we possibly misunderstand in some way the nature of trauma and what trauma can do and how, and, and, and how trauma affects families, individuals yeah. uh, and also organisations, whether it's an, ar- it's an army situation um, or in your case, um, you're working on a news desk. So can you yeah. tell me about that? Well, it did. It took me, 
it did take me 28 years not to write it, but to sit down and write, to find the, the headspace, if you like, to be able to sit down, to clear my mind, to be able to to look back on it and actually understand it as a whole, to get a sense of a beginning, a middle and an end. It took me that amount of time to process what had happened to me, to be able to tell that story. And um, I think that really does speak to the, 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 the issue of time in trauma, which is that these things take years and years and years to, to settle down. I mean, some people never escape acute, the acute phase, and you, you find especially ex-forces people with multi-layered complex trauma problems, which are almost impossible to, to break down. In my case, it was a more simple thing. We were able to isolate what had caused it, and then I was able to be treated using group therapy and other therapy. And then I, I needed, I remember the, my psychiatrist and so on, they always said to me, look, we can deal with the immediate symptoms, but you are always going to carry the scars of this experience. Your brain is effectively scarred by it. And that is completely true, which is for the last 20 years, I've been recovering every day from it. And I still feel there's a part of me where, you know, triggers and memories can be very intrusive and disturbing. You know, I still have very disturbed sleep. My wife still has to deal with some of these aspects. But I guess writing the book itself was a, 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 th a form of therapy because I was able to get it down, enclose it in, a, in, a, in an opening and a closing page. And that was a phenomenally powerful experience to be able to put it to one side and say look I've done this I've written about it because as a young as a journalist I've always felt I should tell this story and I didn't want to leave this earth without having put it down in writing. Can you describe traveling into Afghanistan I know when you went with one of your mates um, James you're in your early 20s and you know this was a big uh, career springboard for you and you were you know your first gig you know writing for different newspapers from a pretty much a hot stone at that stage yeah. um, and the Soviet Afghan war would have been it would have, how many years was it into it at that stage it was several years wasn't it yeah so I went in 1985 the, uh, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan or entered Afghanistan in December 1979, so, and they left in 89. I was actually, I reported the departure, which we might get onto later. But, um, so when I went in 85, it was the middle years of a war that was going largely unreported in the West. And the reasons for that were that um, the judgment in most Western capitals was that the Mujahideen didn't have a hope of really driving Soviet forces out of Afghanistan. Um, it was a very difficult war to cover because the Soviets didn't allow any Western journalists into the country. Um, newspapers regarded it as highly dangerous because if you went in, you had to go in on foot from Pakistan and you could be walking for weeks in incredibly tough mountainous country. And if anything happened to you, if you were injured or if you got ill, um, you were weeks again from treatment. You'd have to come out sometimes on the back of a horse, and the problem of infection and, you know, disease sort of getting out of control was very acute. The other danger was that journalists had to go into Afghanistan and more or less entrust their safety to Mujahideen commanders. And some of these people were not trustworthy. And so, tragically, several journalists were murdered who went in with 
commanders or they were you know robbed and killed um or they were handed over to the government in swaps for prisoners so it was a very dangerous it was off the edge really and and what happened was it became the province of freelancers and actually when i look back on it a lot of very successful um people who went on to careers in journalism and in other areas actually went and had a go at this war and the way you did it was you essentially flew out to Pakistan and you arrived up at Peshawar, which was the Pakistani capital of the northwest frontier province, which bordered on Afghanistan. And it was there that the resistance organizations, there were seven main uh, Mujahideen groups, they had their sort of offices in exile, if you like. And young guns like me would go along there and sort of present our credentials such as they were, which in my case were very, very flimsy indeed, because I'd never written a story for a newspaper at that point uh, on any subject and you'd essentially sort of say look here I am I'd like to go into Afghanistan can you organize a safe passage for me and someone who can show me the war and that's essentially what we what we were doing. You stayed in a, with the local branch of the Mujahideen and um, you described so vividly, um, you know, this command structure, which was 